It is good to be here with you this morning. Like the video just showed us this week, we entered into a special season in the church calendar. Lent began. And so I'm curious, how many of you would say that you know what Lent is? How many of you have ever observed Lent? Well, for me, I've known about Lent for as long as I can remember. And over the years, I've become more and more familiar with it. I know when it is. I've observed it some years with special practices or readings. But still, every year when this season cycles around, I usually find myself struggling to wrap my mind around what Lent actually is and why it's important. So I hope that maybe one of these years it will come more instinctively to me and I'll remember and understand better. But for me, it's usually helpful to remind myself of why we do this thing called Lent and why it's been practiced for hundreds of years by the church. So this morning, I'm going to start just by reviewing a little bit for all of us what Lent is. Lent is modeled after Jesus' 40 days in the wilderness after his baptism. It's a time when he fasted and meditated on God's word. For us today, Lent is the seven weeks, 48 days, leading up to Resurrection Sunday. There are 40 days of fasting and then eight Sundays of feasting where you might choose to take a break from your fast. Lent is designed to be a time of intentional reflection, remembering our dependence on God and the Word of God. We orient our hearts, our minds, and our bodies to Jesus. It's a time for us to look toward the cross so that when we get to Holy Week, we are waiting and ready. We're aware of our sin, aware of our needs, and why we need Jesus. So during these seven weeks of Lent, believers often choose a physical way that they can be intentional about looking towards the cross. Fasting is a common practice, whether it be from certain foods or from social media or certain activities. Fasting is considered a practice of subtraction, of putting something down. But this practice of subtraction is not the point. The practice is not an end unto itself. The goal in our fasting is to engage with the presence of God. And when we feel that lack, that pull to that thing that we're fasting from, it's important that we pick up a discipline of addition. What can we fill that empty space with? Maybe it's prayer or scripture, meditation or song whatever it is that helps you engage with the presence of God. So this season of Lent isn't one that is prescribed in Scripture, and it's not one that all Christian traditions practice. Here at EPMC, there have been years when we've focused a lot on Lent, and we have encouraged a discipline of subtraction. And then there's other years where we haven't talked about it much, Neither way is right or wrong. 
But as we enter into this Lent season this year, I would just encourage you to ask God, God, are you inviting me to pick up a practice of subtraction to help me prepare for Resurrection Sunday? So together as a faith community during this Lent season, we are going to be looking at the Gospel of Mark. Some of you may have picked up this book that we've had out for the last couple of weeks, um, Lent for Everyone. And we will be preaching during the Lent season from this book. Um, there's also readings that you can follow throughout the week to read through the Gospel of Mark. If you don't have this yet and you would like to, there's still time. We have slips that are out at the welcome desk that will guide you on how to order those books. Or you can contact the church office also, and we would be happy to help you get one. So during the Connect group time, our small group time after the worship gathering, we are also going to be looking at the Gospel of Mark. We'll be using the quarterly salt and light material in one of the groups, and in the second group, we'll just be offering a further discussion and application of the morning message. And so, as our gathering finishes up this morning, you may choose to participate in either one of those groups. You can switch it up from week to week and do one this week and a different one next week. Um, but those will be our options for the season of Lent. In, in this book this week, we have um, started our readings on Wednesday, which Wednesday was Ash Wednesday. And if you're using this material so far, we've read through the first chapter of Mark and also about halfway through the second chapter. And so this morning, that's what I'll be focusing on as I share. From the very beginning of Mark, you may have noticed that this author, Mark, does not mince words. He speaks very plainly and straightforwardly, and he goes from one thing or activity right into the next one. Now, the gospel itself was not written for the Jewish people. Mark wrote the gospel of Mark for the Romans, who were very big into excitement. They liked big stories and big drama. And so Mark probably wrote to keep their attention using faster-paced storytelling. All throughout the text, we see words like immediately, as soon as, at once. The book of Mark is considered to be the first book written in the Gospels. Theologians believe possibly that Matthew and Luke used Mark as a source in writing their Gospels. And so over these weeks, as we read through Mark, we'll be doing it through the lens of discipleship. The themes of who Jesus is, his messiahship, and how we should follow him, discipleship, are woven all throughout this gospel. We'll come across several examples as we read of Jesus calling people to discipleship. Out of all of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, this book probably gives us the clearest understanding of what it looks like to effectively follow Jesus. So as we start this series, I thought it might be helpful to share some definitions with you so that we all have a common language and understanding of what we're learning. So first, this word, disciple. 
A disciple is someone who is following Jesus, someone being changed by Jesus, and someone who is committed to the mission of Jesus. And then we have a disciple maker. A disciple maker is a disciple of Jesus who enters into relationships with people to help them trust and follow Jesus. Finally, discipleship. Discipleship is the process by which disciples grow in the Lord Jesus Christ. And they are equipped by the Holy Spirit who resides in our hearts to overcome the pressures and trials of this present life and become more and more Christ-like. So for me, when I sense a calling from God to something new, or I take on a new job or a responsibility, it's easy for me to spiral down into all the uncertainties and unknowns of that new thing. I doubt my skills. I doubt my ability to listen and to hear correctly. And I begin to have all kinds of questions. And so as we begin this study of Mark this morning, I thought it might be helpful for us if we jump around these first two chapters and search for some answers to some common questions, doubts, uncertainties that we might have around this theme of discipleship. Maybe find some firm footing for us to begin this discipleship journey through Lent. We'll look at questions like, am I qualified to be a disciple? How can I be an effective disciple maker? And then, who do I disciple? So let's start together with the first six verses of Mark chapter 1. And right away, we begin to see what being a disciple of Jesus looks like. Mark 1, 1. This is the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God. It began just as the prophet Isaiah had written. Look, I am sending my messenger ahead of you, and he will prepare your way. He is a voice shouting in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord's coming, clear the road for him. This messenger was John the Baptist. He was in the wilderness and preached that people should be baptized to show that they had repented of their sins and turned to God to be forgiven. All of Judea, including all the people of Jerusalem, went out to see and hear John. And when they confessed their sins, he baptized them in the Jordan River. John's clothes were woven from coarse camel hair, and he wore a leather belt around his waist. For food, he ate locusts and wild honey. The central theme we see of John the Baptist's preparation for the Messiah is around repentance. Of turning from sin, confessing it before the Lord, and committing to a new way of life. In our study book, the author N.T. Wright points out that like the description of John's clothing, 
The mention of John eating locusts was probably meant to highlight the fact that John appeared as a strange, wild man, living in a way that said, it's time for change. Ordinary days are gone. A new age is just about to begin. John's message of repentance was essentially forward-looking. God's doing a new thing, so we have to get ready. And so our discipleship journey begins here with the simple question of readiness. Am I ready to be a disciple? Am I qualified to be a discipler? Well, I see answers to these questions in these first chapters of Mark. We just read about John the Baptist's message of repentance, and it's the same as Jesus' message in verse 15 of chapter 1. Jesus says, The time promised by God has come at last. The kingdom of God is near. Repent of your sins and believe the good news. So if we have repented, if we have sincerely turned away in our minds, in our hearts, in our bodies, from our own way of doing things and instead to God's way, if we have acknowledged our need for Jesus' sacrifice, then we are already a disciple. We are ready and qualified to be a discipler. God loves us as we are right now in our brokenness, in our need, in our awareness of our need for him. N.T. Wright writes in Friday's reading, when Jesus says, follow me, it is of course a wonderful affirmation of who we are deep down inside. You are a human being made to reflect God's image and glory in the world. And Jesus is calling you to do just that in whatever specific way God wants from you. That is part of the message of Lent, a new calling. I see a beautiful reminder of God's love and affirmation in Mark 1.11. Jesus has just been baptized. The Spirit descends on him and a voice from heaven. God says, you are my beloved son. In you I am well pleased and delighted. Now at this point, Jesus had not yet entered into his ministry. He hadn't performed any amazing miracles. He hadn't taught or brought anyone to repentance that we know of. And yet God was pleased with him simply because he was God's son. And the same is true for us. As we are right now, in our brokenness, in our need, in our weakness, God loves you. God delights in you, and God wants to use you as a disciple maker. You have a call of discipleship. In these opening chapters of Mark, we're shown two pictures of discipleship. One is one of convenience and of personal gain, and the other of genuine following, genuine discipleship. Throughout these verses, we read about many different people who declare Jesus as the Son of God. 
we see crowds who are filled with wonder and amazement at what Jesus is saying and doing. But I noticed there was a lack of any repentance, the absence of any faith. Most of these early crowds were more interested in what Jesus could do for them rather than how they might be followers of the Messiah. These people, these skeptics, knew about God, but they didn't recognize him because they didn't know that they needed him. They had no understanding of repentance. They wanted from him, but many times what they thought they needed from him didn't even begin to address their true needs. And that is what Jesus wants to fill for each and every one of us. Jesus wants to meet our true needs. And Jesus knows exactly what that need is. We don't always know that. We might have a perceived need that's not our deepest need. We see an example of this in chapter 2. While Jesus is teaching, men bring a paralyzed man to him for healing. Jesus recognizes their faith, and Scripture says he healed the paralyzed man. But as we read that, what is the first thing that Jesus heals? It's not the man's body, but his spirit. Jesus' first words to the paralyzed man are, My child, your sins are forgiven. Only later does Jesus heal the man's body. Jesus knew what his deepest need was. As I was preparing for this message, I found myself pondering what I think I need from Jesus right now. For a while, the pace of my life has felt kind of like reading the book of Mark. Super fast pace, jumping from one thing right to the next. And so I've been praying that things would slow down, that Holy Spirit would reveal to me things that I should be releasing. But so far, I haven't sensed a freedom to release anything. But then as I thought about maybe this is a perceived need that I have, Maybe there's something deeper that Jesus wants to meet. Maybe the pace of my life doesn't need to change. Maybe there's something that I'm learning through it that I need more than a slower pace. So I don't have an answer to those questions yet, but I am trying to shift my focus and just continue asking Jesus to show me, God, what are my true needs? For us, as a faith community here at EPMC, I think we can all agree that one of our needs right now is for an equipping pastor. And we are still waiting for God to bring us the right person. But as an elder team at our last meeting, one of the things we talked together about were the gifts that we have been noticing in this season of waiting. And so I've begun to ask God, are there deeper needs that we have right now as a faith community that you are trying to show us? Again, I don't have an answer. 
<clears throat> but back to the two versions of discipleship that we see in these verses. We just talked about a for me type of discipleship. Jesus, what can you give me? We see an example of true discipleship as we read about Jesus calling his disciples in the figures of Simon, Andrew, James, and John. When called by Jesus, these disciples didn't just follow at a distance or look for ways that they could benefit. These men left everything and followed Jesus. They were willing to be with him and follow where he led. I wonder if from these very moments, if these men were already partly aware of their brokenness and need. And so once we simultaneously rest in God's affirmation of us and also repent and acknowledge our need of Jesus, the answer to our first question, am I ready, is yes. We are ready and qualified. So now we might be wondering, how can I do this well? How can I become a good disciple maker? To me, making disciples doesn't sound like something that's easy to do. Entering into relationship with people to help them follow Jesus, especially for an introvert like me, sounds draining and very challenging. My doubt spiral kicks in with fears and insecurities about walking with other people in this journey. And while we know that we're qualified to do this work, I ask God, how do we do it? How do we sustain a life of discipleship? Mark gives us an answer in these first two chapters through Jesus' example. After Jesus is baptized, in the passage of scripture that our practice of Lent is drawn from, beginning at Mark 1.11, excuse me, Mark 1.12, it says, the Spirit then compelled Jesus to go into the wilderness. We see Jesus quietly, humbly, and obediently submitting to the Spirit's leading. When he goes off into the wilderness, he is free from distractions. He fasts and he prays. And we can assume from the responses that he gives to Satan's temptations that are described in some of the other Gospels that Jesus has been immersing himself in God's word. Here and in many other times throughout the Gospels, we see Jesus intentionally connecting to God. And so our ability to be an effective disciple maker directly corresponds with our connection and submission to the Spirit. A life of discipleship can only be sustained with an intimate connection to God. That's how Jesus did it, and that's how we can do it. So now that we know that we are qualified, we know how we can sustain a life of discipleship, the next question that pops up for me is, okay, God, so who do you want me to disciple? <clears throat> As we've been hearing throughout the month of February in our Everyday Life on Mission series, being on mission doesn't require us to go overseas. And the same is true in disciple-making. 
we don't have to go far and wide searching for someone to disciple. We most likely don't need to change where we go or what we do in our days. We simply need to ask God for connections and then open our eyes and pay attention to what's happening around us. In these first chapters of Mark, he tells us about Jesus calling some of his disciples. Mark 1.20 says, One day, as Jesus was walking along the shore of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew throwing a net into the water. A little further up the shore, Jesus saw Zebedee's sons, James and John, in a boat repairing their nets. In chapter 2, verse 14, we read, As he, Jesus, walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at his tax collector's booth. In all these cases, Jesus saw. His eyes were open as he went about his day, and he encountered these men. Well, in today's day and age, we literally have the whole world at our fingertips through news sources, through the television, radio, the internet. We can know the problems of the whole world. There are endless possibilities of things that we can pay attention to. But I wonder, am I, are we, seeing the people and the problems that are right in front of us? Are we missing our neighbors? Are we missing the opportunity to disciple the very people that God has placed next to us by instead trying to help the people that the world is promoting to us? I've heard it said that we should do for the one what we wish we could do for the many. And so instead of allowing ourselves to be overwhelmed and paralyzed by the need in the world, by the challenges that we see in the news, what if we would shift our focus to the needs next door? How can we be available to those around us? And also, how can we reach out to those around us for help when we need it? This asking for help isn't something that I do very well at all. I would guess most of us struggle with this at some time or another. <clears throat> the other week, my car was being worked on at a dealership in York. It was done and it was ready to be picked up, but our evenings that week were so busy. I couldn't figure out how Jonathan and I could go and get it picked up. So my days were open. Jonathan was working, so he couldn't help to go get it. And so simple reason would say, well, I just need to figure out how to get it myself. My mom and my sister were busy. They couldn't help. Those are my go-to people when I need help. And so I was stumped. And it took me a ridiculous amount of time to come to the conclusion that I just need to ask someone else for help. But just the thought of reaching out and inconveniencing someone, even someone that I loved 
and cared for and would do anything for was almost terrifying for me. And I found myself just asking why. Why do I hesitate to ask for help when I need it? Jenny Allen is an author and a podcaster who has written a book that I am very excited to dive into. It's called Find Your People. And as I prepare to share this message this morning, I questioned God a couple times as to why I didn't have this book read before sharing this morning. I was really questioning his timing. It seemed like I would have had much more information to draw from in sharing with you. But I couldn't read it. And so I trust God's timing that he has a reason that I didn't. But I did hear Jenny speak quite a bit about the book. And one of the things that she talks about is the difference that she notices in her travels overseas in the way that people do life. Here in America, our culture really rewards self-sufficiency of not needing anybody else. We have this, I've got this way of thinking. But in many third world countries, and even in some more developed countries like Italy, people live more communally. They do their work together. They raise their families together. They share what they have. And Jenny couldn't help but notice these people had a lot of joy. They had joy in experiencing things together, in many cases despite their lack. You may have heard the saying that it takes a village to raise a child. Well, part of Jenny's message is that maybe it takes a village to live a life. Maybe our goal shouldn't be to not need anyone else. And as we begin to share our needs with those around us and to become more aware of the needs around us, we might start to notice our own villages forming. Even in small ways, like reaching out for a ride, like borrowing a tool from a neighbor instead of just going out and buying your own. Maybe in doing errands with a friend or talking to your neighbor as you go out for the mail. Maybe in doing these things, we can begin to shift our focus, shift our mindsets, and begin to live and work in a more relational way. We'll have opportunities, maybe, to disciple and to be discipled. Really, whether we like it or not, whether we acknowledge it or not, we need each other. And finding ways to build communal experiences into our everyday living is how Jesus invites us into discipleship. And so I pray that as we engage together over these seven weeks of Lent, just pray that Holy Spirit would fill our areas of fasting and subtraction and weakness with small openings for acts of discipling. 
Worship team, I just invite you to come forward. Let's just pray together. God, thank you for your presence with us this morning. Holy Spirit, I ask that over these next days and weeks, would you just draw me, draw each one of us more deeply into a discipleship journey with you and with those around us. Equip us as we seek to follow and to be changed by Jesus. We commit ourselves to your mission. Amen.